It's, this only says 727, so I, I don't have to do anything. I want you to know. Anything I say now cannot be held against me. Uh, those of you who do come regularly or have seen me know that I can behave oddly. Um, and now I've got a cold, which means I'm taking drugs. Sudafed. That stuff is strong. And they make speed out of it, right? So, you know. So I'm a little whacked. You know. Yesterday I spent the day at Pebble Beach with my daughter, walking around watching golfers and other famous people. We saw Wayne Gretzky, Justin Timberlake. My daughter liked that a lot. A lot of pictures of Justin Timberlake's back. We saw Aaron Rodgers, uh, Ray Romano. That was cool. We also saw the best golfers in the world. But uh, if you ever get a chance to just, even if you don't care about golf, just go down to Pebble Beach and walk around that golf course. It's, it's really beautiful, stunning. Iconic, that's what we call it, you know. Every hole we get to, I go, this is an iconic hole. It's like the day, or the word of the day. My daughter was like, who owns these houses? These places are incredible. They're like millions of dollars. And then somebody was like, oh, that house? That's the people who own the Warriors own that house. He was like, oh, exactly. <laughs> Billionaires, that's who lives here. Bastards. <laughs> you can play that golf course if you have $500 to play a round of golf. And then you'd be like hitting the ball into the ocean. You'd be like, why did I pay all this money to play like crap? You know. Okay, it's 7.30 now. So now I'm going to be a Dharma teacher. Watch. Yeah, screw that. So welcome. I, I see some friendly, I mean, all the faces, actually all the faces look friendly, so amazingly enough. Uh, familiar faces and some faces I don't recognize. Just curious how many people are here at Spirit Rock for the first time. All right, welcome. And welcome to those who aren't here for the first time. Um, I am Kevin Griffin. This is the Dharma and Recovery class, monthly class. I was just being asked when we were going to move out of these digs over to the fancy new place, and uh, I don't know. But it's got to be soon, because it looks like they're pretty much done over there. So that's exciting, hopefully in the next few months. I don't know, they might just like keep this place just for us, you know, because it's like we don't want those people over there, you know. Last time I was here, they said June. June. It sounds about right. You know how construction is. Yeah, when I first started to do this, like teach Dharma and recovery, teach about Buddhism and blending with the 12 steps, there were some centers, not Spirit Rock, I will say, some centers that were a little hesitant. Like, really, there was this kind of like, I don't know, do we want those people here? And what I would say to them is, they're already there. They're already in your center. You just didn't know it. 
and they'd always be amazed. Like, I would come and teach, and then there'd be all these people would come, and they'd be like, where did all these people come from? Like, mm, yeah. That's why it's called anonymous. So my uh, general uh, themology here is to go by the step of the month, and that's just a convenient thing to do. Um, the hardest thing about giving talks, you know, week after week, year after year, is um, coming up with some a topic. Really, for me, that's the hardest thing. Once I get going, you know, you turn me on. I'm hard to turn me off. But um, so it makes it convenient for me um, to have a step as a model for the topic, and and then and. You know, usually that becomes something I don't, I don't exactly do, like, step two, now we're going to go through all of what that means, you know, uh, but it's more like I'll kind of pick up a, a piece of it or a word or a theme. Um, but we'll, we'll do some meditation first. Um, and then uh, I usually take some time for people to ask questions about meditation. You may have to speak up because my ears are kind of clogged when I when you ask questions. Uh, and then uh, we'll have a break, and then I'll give some kind of a talk, and then more opportunity for discussion. So that's about how it will go, unless I just like leave during the meditation. So because I don't, because I'm sick. It's hard to call in sick when you're a Dharma teacher. Um, and. Uh, and it's hard to meditate when you're sick. So if you're having a hard time with your meditation, you can think, well, the teacher's having a hard time too, so um, I can, uh, I don't know how, if that makes it any easier. Because usually you think, oh, the teacher, oh, they're like so good at meditating, they're just like blissing out while I'm out here spacing out and getting pain in my neck and whatever. So. Green tea is really good if you have a cold, in case you didn't know that. So, All right, well, one more minute we're going to start. Is there one question that somebody has, like, right now? Good. Didn't give me time to ask, even think of a question. So, this is on, right? It doesn't seem very on. <clears throat> Maybe that's because I'm deaf. So um, the starting point of meditation is, is our posture, is how we sit. So you want to sit in a way that you can stay very alert and at the same time that you can sit still for a sustained period of time. We're going to sit for about 30 minutes, um, which might sound like a long time or it might not, but it's just time. Uh, maybe a touch louder, yeah. I don't want feedback or anything. <coughs> Thank you. All right, so let's just start uh, by listening to the bell. And, the, and I would suggest, if you're comfortable closing your eyes, close your eyes. If you don't like having your eyes closed, uh, just lower your gaze so you're not looking at anything.
beginning with just a general sense of being in a body, of feeling your body sitting here. You know, even closing our eyes and sort of marking out the beginning of meditation can have an immediate sort of effect on the way you feel, the way you perceive. If you're not experienced with meditation, there might be just some sort of awkwardness in that, those first moments. What am I doing? What am I supposed to do? And this practice we call mindfulness is really about learning to be present. Learning to direct our attention in purposeful ways so that we aren't just so easily distracted and lost in our thoughts, plans, memories. We use certain tools for focusing the mind. We'll, at a certain point, I'll suggest you start to work with the breath. But I like to start with some intentional relaxation. So relaxing the muscles in your face. Letting your jaw be loose. The small muscles around the eyes. The forehead. Relaxing the shoulders. The arms and hands. Softening the belly. Letting the chest be open. There's plenty of space for the breath and the body.
relaxing through the hips and pelvis, the legs and feet. Feeling the whole body as a single object sitting here. When we begin to focus in this way, it can be as if the body is coming alive. Sensations that are normally ignored come into our awareness. It can be a little disconcerting to see how much is going on in your body all the time. Just to Now have a general awareness of being in a body, of feeling a body, and then opening as well to sound. Sounds you can hear in this room. Maybe some sounds come from outside. Sounds from your own body. The inner sound in the ears. There's body, there's hearing, sound. If you can observe your own mood or emotional state right now, this is a third component of awareness, or third. Thing that you can sense and know. And all of these aspects of body and sound and emotion have an effect on the attention. They can draw our attention, they can trigger thoughts. So as you begin a sitting to just recognize and acknowledge what's going on in these various spheres. That can help you to 
kind of keep a balanced mind as you sit. If there's a strong emotional energy you're feeling, just understanding that that's going to trigger thinking and various kind of habitual reactions, sensations in the body. All of these things are interconnected. One of the insights we derive from this practice. So now you can start to focus more particularly on the sensations of breath. The breath becomes our primary object of attention, primary focus of the meditation. And it's not that we're trying to hold on to the breath or avoid any thoughts or distractions. The breath just becomes a kind of anchor to the present moment. We suggest that you follow the breath either at the nostrils where you feel the air coming in and out or that you pay attention to the movement of the belly, the diaphragm, rising and falling. We'll start by just feeling the sensations of one in-breath and one out-breath. Then the next breath. Just having this very relaxed sense of being here and breathing, not trying to do anything or accomplish anything. We're so conditioned to make all activities have a goal. So that when we learn meditation, it's easy to think that the goal is to just feel your breath constantly without ever having any thoughts. And then when thoughts take you away, well then, you must have failed. You're going to get a a bad grade. But this practice works from a completely different paradigm. 
more like the paradigm of step three, turning it over. You show up and you do your best, but you don't beat yourself up when you don't achieve perfection. You make an effort, but you don't strain or grasp at something. This very paradigm of behavior tends to be so unfamiliar that we have to learn to even operate within this different way of being. You know, we work on this kind of reward system good, bad. Kind of school model. That even to understand what it means to make an effort without expecting a particular outcome and without putting expectations on yourself. This can be so alien that it takes some time to find out what it means. And we can only find that out through practicing. can't really be taught. The simple teaching is when you realize your mind has wandered, acknowledge that. Maybe even notice where it was. And then just come back to your breath. If you add a judgment or thoughts of frustration, just acknowledge that those are your own additions. They aren't inherent to the process. They aren't necessary or useful. This is a very gradual, and gentle training of the mind. And it uses the same basic guidance as recovery. Keep coming back.
Okay then. So I like to hear from people who have questions about meditation practice. Usually winds up being a productive topic for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, oftentimes I try to count my breaths until I feel something distracting me or coming into my into my mind that's not in, in my focus. And when I first started out, I I could get to about nine or ten before something would intrude. So this time I just tried to <clears throat> kind of keep on going through that and push that thought away. And for the first time, it really it seemed to kind of work for me because I, I, became, I became frustrated when I can only get to 9 or 10 or 12 and then I'd start all over again. Uh-huh. So this was really good because it just kind of flowed through. Yeah. Well, counting breaths is a kind of traditional, I don't know how long it's been around, but... It's something that uh, is taught in different, uh, you know, schemes, um, and it's it's a basically a concentration practice. So it's meant to sort of settle the mind, just to kind of give you, really help you to stay with the breath. Um, I would I'd be careful with the sort of idea of pushing away thoughts. I mean, it, it, this is kind of what I was talking about as I was. I don't know if you were listening because I know it's easy to just sort of tune out, but, uh, you know, talking about the kind of effort we make, it's uh, because we're not trying to suppress the mind, you know, uh, we're, we're trying to more, uh, almost be friends with whatever is coming up. And, the, but the thing is, we're so used to like, you know, getting caught by thoughts and just getting lost in them. That some sort of concentration, like you're doing, is kind of is kind of necessary. But what I'm getting at is that you don't want to have sort of a feeling of antagonism towards your thoughts, and that's that's the relationship we can start to get into. Like when you say you're frustrated, it's like oh, because it's like oh, it's I'm supposed to ha- this is supposed to happen. I'm tr- I'm supposed to be with my breath, and and that's uh, ultimately not that productive a place to be. And somehow to be able to allow thoughts to come through without getting just lost in them. This is sort of this balance that's, that really takes some time to develop. But initially, it's, it is helpful to have a concentration practice like that. At a certain point, though, I would just drop the numbers and just come back to the sensations of breath. Because mindfulness is about being with something that really is happening rather than overlaying it with uh, a concept, even with its numbers, you know. Um, but, the, but they work hand in hand, the concentration and the mindfulness, so you have to kind of learn to navigate between the two. But I, I'm glad it was, uh, you know, felt more productive for you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, hello, hello, yes? 
back there. Maybe we could use the microphone. I can be loud. Okay. <laughs> what tools, practices, or uh, habits do you employ throughout a daily on a daily basis that help your meditation process, if any? Or can meditation be something that is practiced independent of your lifestyle or choices that you make throughout the day? Um, the second part of your question I understand both I thought I understood both parts but I didn't see quite how they connected together so uh, but um, to me the most important thing about a meditation practice is to just show up and do it. The technique itself isn't so much imp- the, the important part to me. The important thing to me is show up and put in the time on a regular basis um, without a lot of expectation so you're not sort of getting into this competitive thing I was talking about. Um, so, so I guess if there's a word for that, I'd, call, I'd have to call it discipline. That's not a very popular word in our culture. But it's, it's more like the discipline of somebody, like a musician, who practices their scales. It's not something you do, you know, that's unpleasant. It's something you're engaged in. So daily meditation is, the, is to me, the key tool. Uh, the, as I say, the forms aren't so important. I think there's a... The second part of the question, again, I'm not sure I'm going to be answering exactly what you're asking, so you can correct, you, know, you can ask more if I don't answer it. But um, there are two ways that I view mindfulness practice as influencing my daily life. One is that if I start my day by taking some time to be quiet and meditate, that sets me up to be in a good place, to start the day in a good place, where there's some calm, and maybe I'm, I'm aware of things that are kind of troubling or that I feel like, oh, that's really, you know, I need to deal with that today. I, but, but it's mostly just that I start the day in that nice place. That even, you know, even if when I'm meditating, it seems like I'm spacing out at the end of it, I invariably feel more calm than I did at the beginning. So, as I say, just putting in the time, then I start the day in a good place. Then it also conditions me or helps to set me up to be more mindful throughout the day because that's my orientation. I'm starting the day with that orientation to be present, to be mindful. And, you know, my commitment is to try to be mindful throughout the day and I've prepared myself for that commitment by practicing in a formal way at the beginning of the day. So they're, they're definitely directly connected. It is quite possible to meditate and have it not affect the rest of your life. I did that for several years before I got sober. I meditated but I wasn't really trying to have a integrated experience. I was having trying to have like some 
get fixed with the meditation so that I could just screw around with the rest of my life. Um, so that's a question of intention, of bringing the intention to be present and the intention to live with integrity. Uh, and, that, and that's something that's, in a, strictly speaking, is separate from the meditation itself. That's something that like, is a partner with the meditation. Does that answer your question somewhat? Or? Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you very much. Perfect. Great. Thank you. That's a really good question, too. Any other uh, questions people have about practice? Or? Great. And we're going to use the microphone if you don't mind. Are you recording this? Mm-hmm. You have to tell me your name again. Romy. 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 Yeah. You should wear a name tag then <laughs> in the future. Thanks, Romy. Hi, that's loud. Um, <laughs> it's good, it's loud. <laughs> Just hold it a little further away. and you know. I haven't done that much meditation, but I've dabbled here and there. And there was one point at which someone had taught me like a, a, a specific breathing pattern, and it was kind of like yeah. you're breathing up from the floor. You know, I don't rem- I didn't yeah. remember it anymore. No. But no. when I was doing that, I was also doing this kind of intense internal visualization of colors and that were going along with the breath, and it was really felt quite rewarding. And I oh, heard you yeah, say the yeah. forms weren't the central <laughs> thing, but I just am interested That's, in some more thoughts about the breath and uh, different kinds of breath. So, yeah, I should, uh, when I'm stating an opinion, I should st- make, make it more clear that it's my opinion. It's my opinion that forms aren't that important. But no doubt, different people are going to respond to different forms. And what I guess, so, so what I would say is, you know, find one that works for you. And, and that is useful. I don't mean to imply that it's not. But I, I don't sit up here and say, this is what everybody should do. It's more, I think it's much more important for you to experiment and see what works for you. What you're doing, great. To me, it just sounds like, too much work, you know. It just sounds like it's awfully. You're, it sounds like you're awfully busy, you know, which can be good because it keeps you out of trouble. But at a certain point, you know, again, you know, this is to distinguish the difference between mindfulness and concentration. Concentration is the quality that keeps your mind focused on the task at hand. And so you're, you're paying attention to how you're breathing, you're paying attention to the visualization, and that, that quality of staying focused has the effect of bringing calm and even nice waves or all kinds of pleasant feelings. Concentration is really what makes meditation pleasant and even blissful at times, if we're lucky. The mindfulness, on the other hand, is about being more present to my mental patterns, my emotional patterns, the way I react to things, how I kind of, you know, my, my mind-body experience as it is. So I'm not trying to control it so much, you know. I'm, I'm trying to kind of learn from it. And also, with mindfulness, we're dealing with the, the stuff of our life but we're trying to change how we relate to that stuff. 
So rather than we're trying to get rid of thoughts so I can just like have a calm meditation, I'm trying to learn that when this thought comes up, I don't have to get triggered by it. It's like, oh, there's that resentment. Oh, let me breathe with that. Can I let that go? Or even like, where am I coming from? Why is there, why do I have this anger or this fear or what, you know, and just, so we're, so we're sort of engaging in our experience, but we're trying to engage in a new way that isn't so identified with it. Like, you know, my resentment, right? My thought, my emotions. It's just, oh, these are thoughts. These are emotions. These are resentments. These are, it's stuff. And when we learn that way of relating, this is kind of the path the Buddha described that's really letting go of, of the cycle of samsara, the cycle of suffering, because we're not getting triggered by our cravings and our, and our uh, resentments and our aversions. So a concentration practice helps you to get to that place where you can see more clearly, because if your mind is just spinning out, you can't sort of separate from it. So we need to calm down a little bit to be able to get into any kind of a space of observing. But concentration itself doesn't necessarily open those kind of insights for us. It doesn't necessarily give us that view because we're just controlling the mind. So the Buddha talked about this, and he actually went through in his own training before he had his breakthrough he had a tra- trainings in concentration and he got very good at it. But what he said was, the problem with concentration is when I stop concentrating, I just go back to being my regular self and my regular mind there. Nothing has changed. Whereas if I use mindfulness, there's a, there, there can be a transformation of my relationship to those experiences. And, but it's harder. <laughs> Because it's hard to just sit with that stuff. Because again, we even though I sit down and go, okay, I'm going to watch my mind. Five seconds later, I'm not watching anymore. I'm in it, right? I'm a, I'm performing rather than observing the performance. And so that's when we say, when you notice your mind has wandered, acknowledge that, see where it is, and then come back. And you do that over and over and over, and you get frustrated, right? And you're like, I'm no good at this. And that's like, oh, wait, that's just another thought. You know, and you feel, oh, that's just a judgment. Okay, and, and after a while, you, you kind of get unhooked. And that's very freeing. So, like, one of the, in one of my books, I talk about, one of the things I say is, the difference between my meditation experience and the meditation experience of people who are new to practice is that they're sitting there spacing out and they get frustrated about it. I'm sitting here spacing out and it doesn't bother me. I, it doesn't sound, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't sound like I'm a very good meditator and I, I wonder sometimes <laughs> if I am, but I don't suffer. And that's what I'm trying to get to. So, Yeah. Um, I think I become more compassionate with yeah. myself. Yeah. And then that compassion that I experience has a half-life. So when I go through my day, I can be more compassionate. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so this is what, one of the things that I like to say is that 
my partners in my practice are forgiveness and compassion. Because the reason I cannot, I learn to not get upset about the fact that my mind wanders is that I realize that I'm a human being, and what human beings do is they think. That's kind of what defines us. So to get mad at myself for doing that is like getting mad at a dog for sniffing poop. You know, it's like, you know, that's just what they do. So, so that means that I have this forgiveness right away because it's like, oh, it's okay, I'm just human. And then I also see that, you know, it's, when the mind wanders, it's kind of, you know, when I come back, I realize, oh, boy, you know, I've been tense or I've been angry or anxious or something's going on. And so then, like, as you say, I have compassion for myself. So I have forgiveness and compassion as my partners with, along with my mindfulness. Because you know? if it's just mindfulness, it can become this kind of, oh, you know, ch- checklist of, or like judgment. Oh, well, I'm, my mind's wandering. Oh, did it again. But, well, but I'm back now. Oh, well, I'm, oh, wow, I was with my breath for so long. Wow, I'm such a good meditator. It's like, just another story. Yeah. So thank you. You're, are you raising your hand? Yeah. Okay. It looked like there was a little stretching involved. Well, in that. Yeah, combining. That's more of a nervous. Multitasking in your hand raising. Okay, so um, my okay. name is Elizabeth, and Hi. I'm really new to meditation, uh-huh. um, meaning I don't practice it on a daily basis. I'd okay. like to. Um, Starting today. Yeah, and, and uh, my partner here and I tried to make last month and we wanted to really just see if we could kind of stick this out for the rest of the year but um, I need to share my experience and I guess my question would be meditation um, with like trauma Um, because after you shared about the concentration and then mindfulness and what you were saying like made me kind of like exhale and go oh okay that was that's kind of what was happening but I was in a vision for a short period and then all of a sudden my body just changed and like locked up Mm -hmm. like I like couldn't breathe and then had afterwards when I kind of worked myself out of that even felt this just tingleness in the back of my head like Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was just creepy. <laughs> so, to to me, it was um, it's a it's something I've been dealing with and struggling with for over a year. This kind of visual. Okay. Um, so I think it would be trauma and meditation. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, my expertise, <laughs> such as it is, is in meditation and recovery and I've heard some things about drama but I'm not by any means an expert about it but so I'll say a couple things but but I also want to say that that it's probably wise if you aren't already working with someone who can specifically help you with that to do that so one of the things that this practice does, particularly the practice of mindfulness, is it kind of takes the lid off. Uh, 
repressed thoughts, feelings, memories. And that's one of the reasons, I, I don't know if you heard my instruction in the beginning about the eye, having the eyes open or closed. I realized a couple year or two ago, uh, working with, uh, there was one person in a group I was working with who talked about her association of trauma with having her eyes closed. So, um, so I've added that to my instructions that you don't have to have your eyes closed because that's visions and and getting lost, like get, going out of your body and dissociating happens more tends to happen more easily with the eyes closed. So you might first of all try practicing with your eyes open, which is actually the way they teach it in Zen and in Shambhala, the Tibetan practitioners, it's very common. It's not like, oh, I'm not doing it right, you know, the, the real meditators close their eyes. No, there's just, again, different forms. So you just, you sit with your eyes lowered. So that tends, you tend not to get quite as triggered and dissociated in that state. Um, at the same time, this practice, well, it takes the lid off it also allows then the possibility, if you can have kind of enough strength of mind, uh, which is something that develops with practice, that, that sometimes uh, then trauma can get integrated so that it isn't repressed anymore. That, you know, because part of the, the real, as I understand it, and again, I'm not an expert on this, but as I understand it, it's the, the problem of trauma is really exacerbated by the repression. I mean, that's the, that's the thing we do in order to protect ourselves when we're not able to handle it. But when it's in the past and we're, we're, we're in a different place, you know, in a more healthy place, then it, it's possible, I believe, and again, you should, you know, check with others, but that you can kind of start to bring these things and allow them into consciousness in a way that, that they become integrated so they're not repressed, so they're not things that dissociate you anymore, that, that maybe they become more like painful memories like we all have, right? And, and th- that then will allow you, I, I suspect, to have a more, I'll say, organic meditation, you know, that's less disturbed by that. But, but it, um, it, it, that, this has to be done very gently, right? It's not like, oh, I'm supposed to meditate through this. It's like, no, this is coming up. Okay, not today. And, and then maybe another day it's like, okay, I can let some of this in. I'll breathe with this. Stay. It's really important to stay in your body. Because it's, uh, again, the dissociation happens. We often we leave our bodies. That's what dissociation is, essentially. I mean, it's one characteristic of it. And so when you can stay in your body and stay, because when you stay in your body, it means that you know that you are here now and you are not there then. And that then uh, can give you some of the strength of mind, some of the courage to let it in, knowing that I am safe right now and it's okay to let this up. Um, and just little by little, you know, just to be very cautious with it. I would not like, you know, don't sign up for a month-long retreat, you know, just like 
Practice a little bit. Do ten minutes a day. Do five minutes a day. Breathe. Breathe. Stay in your body. Sit with your eyes open and just see if you can ease through. This and again, I'm talking strictly from the mindfulness meditation view. And there, there, you obviously, if you're working with that in a serious way, you want to have professionals as well to do that with. Thank you. I, I think what really freaked me out was how my body reacted. Yeah. It wasn't even just so much right. of, you know. Well, and the thing is, our, well, for one thing, trauma is stored in the body uh, to a great extent. And so a part of lifting the lid is that it starts to, you know, expand through the body energies. The thing is, though, that in normal meditation, and I don't, I don't mean your meditation's not abnormal, I mean just in like a more, you know, undisturbed meditation, lots of physical experiences can come up anyway. And so what can happen is that if you associate those sensations with something, then that can be like, oh, this is, like you said, creepy. Like, I might have that same sensation, and I'll just be like, oh, that's tingling, you know. But you associate it with something, and so then it gets more meaning. So uh, with mindfulness, we try to take away a lot of naming of stuff, and like categorizing it, and just sort of be, well, what does this feel like? Not like... um, in, in strictly physical terms rather than in emotional terms. Like it's creepy, that's an emotional thing rather than tingling or heat or cold. Uh, you know, that's just a physical term. So that takes us again out of a kind of um, relationship of conflict or judgment with the experience. And I'm just s- describing it as a physical experience that, and not, not adding on my mental. Uh, definition of oh this is because of this, yeah. so see see what you can do with that. Yeah. So that that seems like a good place to take a break. Um, we'll take about ten minutes and and please uh, meet another. Say hello to someone you don't know. This is a a friendly group of somewhat like-minded people. So.